We all feel the pressure to have a perfect Catholic marriage, especially with our children at home full time, and sometimes uh, dads are home these days too. We want our children to absorb and learn what the world will never be able to teach them. Today's guest, Dr. Stacy Trisankos, is here to talk about the perfect Catholic marriage. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today's topic is the perfect Catholic marriage. Our guest is the inspiring Dr. Stacy Trasankos. Let's learn a little about her. Stacy Trasankos, scientist, theologian, and mother, has a doctorate in chemistry, a master's in dogmatic theology, and seven children. She worked as a chemist for DuPont before converting to Catholicism and radically restructuring her life. She left her career to stay home with her kids, from there becoming a writer and educator. Now she is the executive director of Bishop Strickland's St. Philip Institute in Tyler, Texas. She also teaches online theology courses for Seton Hall University and is a fellow of the Word on Fire Institute. Stacy's a frequent guest on Catholic media, including Relevant Radio, Ave Maria Radio, EWTN, Catholic Answers Live, Subject Matters with Sebastian Gomes, and The Journey Home. She has written numerous articles for Catholic publications and is the author of Science Was Born of Christianity, The Teaching of Father Stanley L. Jackie and Particles of Faith. This is a great book, by the way, for your homeschools. A Catholic Guide to Navigating Science. That's from Ave Maria Press. Okay, that's Particles of Faith, which has also been published as a textbook for Catholic high schools and colleges. She's also written a Catholic Answers booklet, 20 Answers Bioethics, and writes the science column for the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. Dr. Trisankos lives with her family in Hideaway, Texas, love that name. With over three decades of scholarly pursuit and parenting experience, she is passionate about leading souls to Christ while keeping it real. Welcome to the program, Dr. Trisankos. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It's so great to be here with you again. I, um, I love what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I always enjoy having you because you do keep it real. You're, you know, you you boil it down to essentials so naturally, and and I tend to overcomplicate things. So you're super smart and super educated, and I always understand everything you're talking about, and I appreciate <laughs> <That's>, you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. I don't feel super smart and super educated. I just feel like beaten by life. Like you know, I I've learned to just tack, tackle it and and be be as honest as you can be and hit, hit your problems and conflicts head on and don't be afraid because the only way you're going to solve your problems is, is absolute honesty. Mm. Oh, I love that because our world is so dead set against honesty, but there's, yep. there's freedom right there. That's the door to freedom. The truth yep. shall set us free. <laughs> yep. mm -hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. So we're talking about perfect Catholic marriages and we're saying that with air quotes. Yes. Say a little about what we think of when we think of a perfect Catholic marriage. Well, I can tell you what I thought of. Like it, it was very liberating to me to become Catholic and to realize that, you know, as a chemist, I thought we were just atoms and molecules, very materialistic worldview. And to realize that we are body and soul, rational soul with the spiritual powers of intellect and free will. That's not just brain chemistry. It's spiritual. 
um, made in the image and likeness of God. And so I was very excited to become Catholic and understand all of this. And I thought, because I was a list checker, I thought if I just do what the church tells me to do, because I was all in, I wasn't even one to question contraception or any of those things. If that's what the church teaches, I believe it's all true. I believe everything Christ said is true and I'm going to do it. If I don't understand it, I'm sure I will understand it later. So I was all in, go to mass every time there's an obligation. I went to daily mass, even um, saying, having the prayer life, doing all the things I was supposed to do. And I really did think for a long time, and I think a lot of people think this too, that if I just did all those things, that my problems would be solved, that I would work everything out. And I would just, I had this vision in my mind of the perfect Catholic marriage where my husband and I are totally intimate, body and soul, and totally committed for the long haul and totally able agilely to navigate anything that life throws at us, that our kids would just grow up to love Christ and love going to mass as much as we did and love doing whatever we ask them to do because they would be so obedient. And, and it just, it was crushing to me when problems came. And I, I know a lot of Christians talk about that, like, you know, it, what, what looks like the ocean is really a puddle. Your faith is really a puddle. It just looks like an ocean because uh, you're only seeing the surface. And um, it, it was scary to realize that the perfect Catholic marriage takes more than just checking the boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. There's so much, like you said, that gets thrown at us. It, you know, we're, I love that when God made a helpmate for Adam, he used that ancient Jewish term Ezer or Ezer Konegdo to mean battle partner. It yeah. casts a whole new light on things. She's not yeah. the soccer mom that does the laundry, although those are beautiful things to do. Uh -huh. She's fighting alongside him. I've never heard that. I love that battle mm. partner. Yeah, yeah, I heard that from Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and then it was confirmed later when I was listening to Kelly Walquist. Um, just great people who really know the scriptures and know the original terminology. It just, yes, yeah, yes, it's just beautiful. Mm. Yeah, so what um, you had these incredible expectations coming in as a new bride. I think we all do. We've mm -hmm. been watching movies our whole lives. We expect our husbands to be, you know, romantic and to un be able to intuit what we need. And as you said, if we do everything right and we're pleasing to God, won't he just bless everything that we do and it will be easy? Uh, but, but not so, not so. <laughs> no, not so. I mean, we, and, and, and I, the reason I speak about it is because for a long time, I think that we couldn't admit to each other, my husband and I, that that things were not perfect. And I don't know if it's just a function of East Texas when I grew up here in East Texas. Um, and I grew up here Baptist and I left that faith behind. But I remember this facade being really confusing to me as a kid, because I saw families all around me and even even a little bit in our own family, although, you know, I don't think people realize they're doing it. Um, but you put on this facade of the way you want people to see how you are as a family or even as a person, as a couple. But on the inside, there are really problems inside the walls of your home. There are really problems. And it's almost like if you talk about the problems if you admit the problems, then they're real. But if you don't talk about them, they're not really there. And you and and 
and that carried, I know that's such a simple thing in psychotherapy, but I was white knuckling it for so long with my husband because all, all I cared about was how, how that looked, you know, like if it looks okay, then it is okay. It, it wasn't even so much vanity. It's just that if it looks okay, then it is okay. And I don't have to pay attention to the things deep inside the, 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 into the real intimacy. Um, and it, it just slowly worked. It, it's toxic venom in our marriage because we couldn't talk about the problems because that that would be to admit that they're there. And and that was really hard to to overcome. Like looking back now, I'm like, well, that shouldn't have been hard. But it was really, <laughs> it almost destroyed us because we just couldn't get to that point where we felt safe to admit there are problems. Mm. Um, because we loved each other so much that we were afraid. I know I was afraid that if I admitted, admitted there were problems and not, and I mean, I could go on and on about the problem problems, like like just disappointment in each other, problems in not being able to communicate, problems that he didn't really like me anymore, um, me having resentment that I didn't really like him anymore, um, and us not being able to set goals, us not being able to have honest conversations about we, what we wanted and needed, so we just did without and grew resentment. Like we just couldn't talk about those things. Um, and, and I was, I remember being afraid that if we did sit down and talk about them, that it might be the end of us because things are not perfect and it's all, it all is a facade and a lie. And, and I, and it, and when you're committed to Catholic marriage, that the marriage is indissoluble and you're going to be with this person for the rest of your life. We, we loved each other so much and we meant it so much that we, protected ourselves from dealing with the problems because we thought the problems would be the end of us. So it was really out of love that we were avoiding intimacy, if that even makes sense. Yeah, I think you've laid it out very clearly. And I think we all have those areas that we're afraid to step into. And, and of course, we're not, it's a matter of the maturing process, which you've obviously been through. And maturing is hard. Growing up is painful. And we can be growing up our whole lives. So we're, you know, <laughs> hitting those speed bumps along the way and having to stretch and reevaluate what what is this relationship with God that we have in our sacramental marriage? How do we draw from those graces? Uh, how are we getting in our own way and just not trusting that he really is there for us, that he'll catch us when yeah. we fall? It, it is a crisis of faith. Ultimately, it was a crisis of faith. Mm. And I remember I did, I didn't, it, so it, it is maturing. Like it demands that you let go and, and trust God. I mean, it sounds so simple and I know lots of people talk about it, but I just couldn't do it. And I was afraid. I was afraid like, yes, God, I trust you, but I am not letting this go because I can't lose my marriage. I cannot lose my marriage. And so I'm not letting it go. I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to, I am white knuckling it through this thing. And I'm just going to grip and hang on for all my life. And when we finally got to a point, I mean, my husband and I, we almost, we got to a point where we almost divorced. We were just like, it was like, I'm going to love you the rest of your life but we're just going to go our separate ways and we'll be married, but we have to go. Like we, you couldn't, we couldn't live that way anymore. And so mm -hmm. we, we actually were separated for a while and um, it was good because we could tell our kids we're working on ourselves. Our marriage is always going to be here. We, it is indissoluble. Like we could claim those truths and, and, and for us separating for a while did make us miss the marriage and make us, 
it's like um, you when you know you have everything to lose, you'll then you'll do anything to save it. And so we were forced to face up to it. But I remember in counseling, a counselor said to us, said to me, do you, do you think he has your best interest at heart? And I was like, no, I, I don't. And that was crushing for me to admit and crushing for him to hear. Um, and then as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I'm like, maybe he does. Maybe, but I had just never said it. Mm. And, and, and he was immediately, why, you know, why? Like we just had to get that out. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, and the counselor, to be fair, said it right back to him. Do you think she has your best interest at heart? And I knew what he was going to say, <laughs> you know, no. And and so he said, we we have to have the marriage's best interest at heart. And you you do have to. And, and, and so then it was, you want him to have your best interest at heart? Yes. And do, do you want to have her best? He's like, I do have her best interest at heart. So, but then it was like, okay, let's just, things are not going to fall apart. Let's just figure out how to listen to each other and give each other what you need. And it, that was, I think that was one of the turning points when things started to change. And, and it's been a couple of years now that I wasn't even talking about this um, for a long time. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to say anything that I didn't know to be true, but looking back now, it changed our whole relationship. We are now able to communicate. I am now safe to say, I want this. I need this. Uh, when we started the podcast, my my email notifications were dinging because I said to him one day, I just want a Ford Mustang. Like <laughs> I'm getting older. I've got grandchildren. You know, I, I've I've worked hard. Like I want to drive a muscle car. <laughs> I just, just want to drive a Mustang and, and I've dreamed about it. And so we just we've learned to set goals just for silly things that we want. And he he is going to get me a Mustang. Like I know that I will, and I don't say I'm going to go buy one. I know he's going to get me one and I'm going to let him get me one. Um, we talk about, we are going to get a Mustang. I'm like, you know, it's going to be mine. Right. And he's like, <laughs> I have that. Did you even think? But we laugh about it. And, and, you know, I, I am now searching for Ford Mustangs and, and my email notifications were dinging because CarMax sends me a notification every time one goes on the market. But it, wow. I mean, it's a silly thing. And we may not buy that car for years to come, um, but it's the kind of thing where we're, we're trusting each other to have our best interest at heart. It was just something silly, but we wouldn't have done that before when we were trying to have the perfect Catholic marriage. I wouldn't mm. have asked for Mustang because that would have been selfish. Mm. And good wives don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect Catholic wife does not drive a muscle car. No, <laughs> this one does, Will. <laughs> She, so she can't it, drive at all, in fact, because her hands are like this all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it, it just that's just an example of how wrong we had it. But you know, it's it's not it's not even that big of a deal anymore. I'm just so glad that we had the truths of the Catholic faith to fall back on, that we claimed the indissolubility of our marriage at our worst moments. And we prayed to God to give us what we need, give us the grace we need. And I think of grace as just like the lights coming on in your head and your heart when when you just know this is right. God gives you that confidence. And it it, it just uh, it, it has been saving. And 
it's kind of like when I became Catholic and I wanted everybody to know you're not just atoms and molecules. You have a rational soul. And the reason you want to love and be loved and know and be known and belong is because God made you that way. And, and you're never going to fill that void until you accept Jesus Christ into your heart. Um, I wanted to tell everybody that like you're hurting mm. for a reason and there's a way to heal. I, I want to tell everybody that about marriage because it's two souls who have to bond. And it's not like an atom and another atom bonding to make H2O water, you know, two, two hydrogens and an oxygen. There's rules and it's nothing personal. It's just bonding with electrons going around both nuclei. When souls bond, that kind of intimacy where two become one, it's, it's really hard. It's a really, really hard thing to do to achieve that kind of intimacy where you can understand the world through the other person's eyes because you're so close to the center of that other person. And, and uh, it's, it, it, I just, it is hard. When my grandmother told me marriage is hard, I didn't know what she meant by that. You have to totally bear your soul to somebody else. You can't hold it back. You have to you have to be totally open and trust that other person has your best interest at heart. And that if if he knows the worst things about you, he's still going to love you anyway. Mm. Wow. And isn't that just our worst fear that someone's going to see who we really are and reject us? Yep. I walk around sometimes like I hope I hope I'm not live streaming on Facebook. What something happened one time when I was uh, accidentally hooked up to a mic and I didn't know it at a talk and that I was live streaming. Oh gosh. They put the mic on me and I had a private conversation with someone and mm. I thought it was private and it was extremed. It was streamed to the whole world. I mean, oh, oh, no. five people. But I didn't know it and that horrified me. And now I'm like always like, what what if I'm live streaming? But I thought, you know what? We are always live streaming to God. Like God knows everything we say or do or even let ourselves think. Mm-hmm. Our minds, if we pull up a chair with that sinful thought and just have a Coke with it and feed it. God knows that. And um, so it, you know, it, even in, your, in my marriage, it, it, that helps me get over the resentment. Um, if I have, if I, if I have resentment for my husband, I had to do it the other night. I need to go tell him when you did that, this is what I thought or felt and, and it hurt. And this is what I'll do because of it. I'll throw my walls back up again. And I don't want to throw my walls back up again. So can we just work this out? Five minutes later, we were walking the dog. So, mm, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah that's, that brings up, you brought up, touched on so many interesting things. One is, where do you want to get to on the other side of working it out? We want to be walking the dog. We want to be back in our marriage. And, well, actually, solving the problem is being in your marriage, uh, working on the marriage and being in the marriage. The other thing, too, is that... Um, you mentioned the two souls bonding, that that's a hard process. And part of that is what you were just saying, which is so like, just so moving to me, the idea of being able to see the world through someone else's eyes. Now that's intimate and that takes trust. And that takes being willing to believe that the other person, even when they're unconsciously doing harm to the relationship, that they mean to have your best interests at heart, to have that leap of faith, to be both logical and and to have that capability to to jump when yeah. it, there seems to be no net. Right. Yeah, that complete vulnerability. And the thing is, when you do it and it's okay, you gain confidence that 
you know, I'm not even so scared to be vulnerable around him now. That And that's the thing you need to aim for in marriage. I'm not scared to be vulnerable about this with around this one other person in the world. Like I can be all myself with him. And, and I, and it's really comforting to know that we'll be there the rest of our life together. It's, it's really comforting that we're helping each other battle and get to heaven and, and whichever one of us dies first, it's just comforting to know. I have no doubt now we will see this through. We, we've, we've, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable with him. And I can't imagine if we hadn't, if we hadn't owned up to our problems and worked them out, I can't imagine going through the next 20 or 30 years of the rest of my life, not knowing what I know now. You mm. know? Yeah, that vulnerability is such strength. It's another one of those paradoxes of our lives, isn't it? To be weak is to be strong. We even have that in scripture, to be able to, to be weak. And also just getting back to the what the catechism teaches us about our unique and unrepeatable souls, sometimes the expectations we bring into marriage are things that we just picked up from, whether it was media or our parents' marriage or somebody else's that we admire, we start to compare ourselves to other people and our spouse is always going to come up short if we start comparing. And it's partly because of what you said, that people are holding up a facade that is socially acceptable in some way. And so what we're modeling ourselves after is broken. We may not be able to see it, but it is. And I have never had the experience in my entire life of getting to know a woman or anybody who I thought had it all together when we first met, who wasn't carrying a heavy cross I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's wonderful being Catholic. I mean, we, we have those truths to hang on to. I just, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people are in, uh, affected, inflicted with perfectionism and, and you don't, it, it's not what we think it is. It's not what we think it is. It's just the, the people, like you said, the people who appear strong are the people, uh, what did I, I heard a priest say one time, because I tell this to my daughters, the greatness of a person is measured by the greatness of the obstacles you overcome. Mm. And I mean, that with what you were saying about the strong women, um, I've told that to my daughters when they're going through difficult times. I'm like, you have to get through this because that's what's going to make you a strong person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, it's great for us to enjoy our lives and to have pleasures like muzzle cars and, you know, whatever it is, you know, that, that's fun and, and, and good in our lives. You know, we're, we're not talking about spending wildly and leaving our families bankrupt, obviously. No. This is, you just talked about, we don't know when this car will be purchased, but now we're having this really fun conversation because I was able to say out loud, I actually want that thing. <laughs> You know, like even the process you're, li you're lit up over. Forget about yeah. the car for a minute and just notice the process of sharing that desire together. I may never have one until I'm like this high and really <laughs> old. But uh, if that day ever comes, you know, it, it, it's not even the car. It's, it's just the idea that we can laugh about it. You know, we go out, we can go out to dinner and have a glass of wine and I'm pulling up cars on my phone and he's just laughing at me. And, you know. <laughs> It's ridiculous, but it's fun, and uh -huh. it feels nice to to know that that nothing would make him happier than to do that for me. You know, like it, nothing makes him happier than just to look at the pictures with me and talk about it. And it, it's just a nice feeling. 
I yeah. feel loved. I feel loved. Praise God. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, that, that seems to be a maturing process in our walk with God, too, knowing that God really loves us. And mm-hmm. to know that your spouse really loves you, that's, that's, I feel like that's when happiness begins, when you believe that. Mm-hmm. And it's not an automatic thing when you say, I do, that you actually, in your soul, believe the other person loves you. That can take time. It can, because you, you have to learn. I mean, these are like platitudes, I know, but I, I think I'm only realizing how true they are. You, you have to love yourself first. And and I think part of the problems in our marriage was that there were a lot of things I hadn't forgiven myself for. Um, I didn't believe God really forgave me for. Um, I was trying to be a perfectionist to God. Mm-hmm. And and uh, just, just admitting that, you know, I Sometimes I don't think we can admit things. I've seen this with my with my daughter. I have four teenage daughters and and one that's thirty two. So I've I've seen one go through hard times and survive. And I'm watching some of my teenage daughters now start out on hard times. Um, and it it sometimes you can't even you they're not even able to say I don't believe you really love me. I don't believe God really loves me. They don't even have the maturity to even say that. Like if they mouthed it, it would just be words. They don't even have the maturity in their minds, their hearts, or even their brains to to know what that means. They can't say it. Um, and and so you just have to, lo- you have to, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing to show them what unconditional love means. That the parent has to be always showing that unconditional love. And they may not understand it for a long time, but at some point they will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And God does permit a certain amount of suffering for us to be able to learn those languages, uh, sorry, those lessons. But when we think about, now that you've, you've stepped us into this relationship with your kids and noticing their learning and heading into some rough waters, what can we do in terms of our own marriages to help our kids to see enough of that process to learn from us? Yeah, um, I'll let you know when I figure it all out. But <laughs> I, I, my husband's parents, they, they uh, left everything behind in Cuba when he was two years old in 1961 and came here on a freedom flight. Um, and my husband's father was a very wealthy man, um, and they left it all behind. They took two suitcases and took their family to freedom and safety in the United States. Wow. And they they have been married over 60 years they're in their 90s and they are like two little kids in love i mean they're like teenagers in love um his parents when they sit on the couch they hold hands when they're in mass they hold hands um they go to gold's gym and work out and make fun of the big bodybuilders together like they laugh (laughs) and and that i know to answer your question that I I have looked at them and thought, that's the kind of marriage I want when we're older. Um, And it gave me a lot of hope. And so I I hope that our kids see that. I know our kids have seen uh, my husband and me go through some really hard times and they've been scared and they've seen us work things out. They've seen us throw it all on the floor and just say, I'm all in. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I am not giving up. They've seen us do that. And so 
I hope for them, it, it helps them when they get to those points in their lives where they, they have to do it. They have to be vulnerable too, that they'll be able to do that. Um, but it's hard because I think the years that we spent not facing our problems also had some very negative effects on our children, um, some insecurities, some feelings that maybe they weren't loved unless they fit a mold. And as hard as it is to admit, my husband and I, it took us a couple of years to work through all of our things and get better. But unfortunately, there there are scars there with our children that they're going to have to deal with for a long time. And that breaks my heart. Um, but as I've learned, you know, admit it, get it out in the open, tell them, you know, we've done a lot of apologizing to them, a lot of explaining. They have some resentment toward us. But I, but I think kids go through that a lot of times with their parents anyway. Um, so, you know, that's what I, there's a, that song, Two Steps Behind by Def Leppard. <laughs> I sing it to my kids all the time. Like I'm always two steps behind you. Um, I think the last podcast we had, I, I talked about something a, a psychoanalyst had explained to me about um, the, the void that addicts have that they're trying to fill is that that love and acceptance they didn't get from someone when they were younger and that he drew this picture I'm sorry, I'm just going off in a, a million oh, directions. No. I love it. He drew this picture. Um, I, I, I was doing a podcast with him and I had I, I started crying on the podcast because he drew this picture. I, I said, I, I have to get up and go home and tell my kids I'm on the bench because he drew mm -hmm. this picture of parents sitting on the bench with their baby. And the mom is sitting there playing with the baby. The baby's completely dependent. Maybe she's nursing, feeding. The baby is dependent and touching the mom for everything. And the baby gets a little older and you're at the park and, you know, the baby wants to toddle away, but comes back, toddles a little further off, but comes back, needs to know mom's there. I mean, every parent has seen this. And then as the child grows older and you're on the bench, he wants to go off and play with his friends on the playground over there. And you're like, you go ahead, you go ahead. I'll, I'll be right here. You go. You don't need me coming with you. You go play with your friends. And the kid goes and the kid gets older. And one day he's running off to go play with his friends. He's so confident and he trips and falls and he gets hurt. And what does the child do? He, he needs, like, imagine a child that doesn't have that with a parent. But the child that does, the child looks back at mom and mom's like, you're okay, you're okay, I'm right here. You get up and you keep going. I'm always gonna be right here. I'm gonna cry just talking about mm, it. I know, the it's child gorgeous. Who looks back, you know, a, an infant who's playing around in front of mom at her feet and she's not paying any attention, that child never has that connection. The child that runs off and the mom's gone and he falls and looks back and there's nobody there never has that connection. And that child can never go off in the world and be healthy until that void is hit. And Christ can fill that void. God the Father can fill that void. But it's hard to even know you have a void to be filled. And I, you know, I went home that day in tears and I like all my kids, I'm like, you know, I'm on the bench, right? <laughs> I am always on the bench. Actually, I'm two steps behind you sometimes, and I'll try to go back to the bench, but I'm always <laughs> going to be on that bench. Wherever you go in life, I am here and your father is here and, and we love you. And we are here for whatever it is that you need when you wander off out into the world. And so, you know, a lot of things happen. They wander off and do lots of things as adults, young adults. Um, but I mean it. We're, it, it's enough, I think, just to know we're here. Mm. 
Yeah, and your children have seen that life has suffering and that marriages can survive suffering, as you've kind of alluded to. They're not walking out there thinking because you, you, you and your husband, you know, hid it all from them all those years that they don't know why they're so uneasy about marriage and are afraid of it or, you know, why they have no idea, you know, what was below the surface or even that there is anything below the surface. You fought it out. You struggled and you triumphed. And of course, the struggles continue, but you have you know, to be very jargony, you have the tools now. <laughs> and a track record. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Love languages. All of that <laughs> stuff is useful. And I'm, you know, I'm a strength geek. So even understanding each other's natural wiring in different ways mm -hmm. can help you to speak into each other's worlds and do exactly what you described, look through the world through mm -hmm. their eyes. This is yeah. so important in our times, marriage and family, so under attack. Um, just say a little bit of, about how our marriages matter to the church and the world. The church, I mean, I, I, I always look at the catechism, you know, Christ, Christ is the center of all Christian life. And the family is the vital cell of society. Vital. I mean, it's, they've got to be there. Families have to be there. Um, if you, I mean, if talking about the, the child with that void because he never bonded to someone who loved him unconditionally, if that get if that person's soul gets broken and that person the next generation can't form a healthy marriage because he can't bond with the other mm. spouse then marriages get broken and kids get born into those situations and those children get broken and it it is the the evil is just exponential the brokenness a broken soul is a broken marriage is a broken child is a broken community and it is a fallen world. And the, the way to heal all of that, and the church tells us this, is grace. I mean, we, we need the grace of the sacrament of, ma of matrimony. We need grace from all the other sacraments. Grace is Christ alive in us. It's, it's our life. And the, it, it can heal. I, I mean, the, the empathy thing. Um, I learned this from Joseph Pieper, a, a German theologian, in his book on the four cardinal virtues. Another thing that was new to me as a convert, but he was writing about prudence. And he said, there, there is a way to be a friend to someone else. And, and that's where I, I, I call it supernatural empathy. That's not really what he called it. But he said, you can't force the other person to be prudent. In a marriage, you can't force the other person to be prudent parent and child, you can't force them, that there is a way to influence prudence or virtue or anything good in the other person. And that is to get as close to the center of the other person as you can and look out at the world through his or her eyes. And he Ooh. called that friendship. Wow. Friendship. And, and to, but to do that, I mean, there's all kinds of tools in psychotherapy these days that, that we help. And, and I look and I read lots of parenting books and lots of homeschooling books and lots of marriage books. And I always want to just do like the early Christian scholars did Catholicize it, you know, like yeah. the church talks about that. <laughs> um, but this, but this empathy of understanding the other person, you don't have a prayer of really having empathy with another soul, unless you're willing to get on your knees in front of the Lord of the universe who holds, oh, there's another car. <laughs> Unless you're willing to get on your knees in front of the Lord of the universe and say, God, let me see 
this person the way you see that person. And let me see the world the way that person sees. If you just try on your own, you can listen good. You can repeat things back. It's never mm. going to quite work. You need that grace of Christ. You need that, that spiritual light that allows you to truly understand the other person. And then once you understand what the world looks like to the other person, then you can start to solve the problems. Um, you, you can start to work things out. And, and that's why I'm not scared to be vulnerable with my husband, because he's, he's looked at the world through my eyes and he'll mm. help me. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Just inspiring. Um, any final thoughts, Dr. Desankos? No, thank you so much for having this conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate what you do um, with your podcast and helping the homeschooling community and, and strength builders. And um, is it strength builders? Strength Strengths finders is the name strength of the finders. assessment. <laughs> no, you're you're going to teach me about it. But um, thank you for what you're doing um, and keeping the conversation going. And just final thoughts. I mean, a platitude, but keep the faith. I mean, really, the church does give you the tools to to work these things out, and it and it will be okay. And if something's not right, if there's a problem in your life, a problem in your relationship, things get fixed when you have real hard, honest conversations about the conflict and work them out. And it will be okay. It'll be worth it. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, can't wait to have you back again sometime. And and. Uh, Everybody, do check out Dr. Tracy, uh, sorry, Stacy Trasankos. I'm flipping sounds. And uh, take a look at her book, Particles of Faith, for you and for your children, and a million other things that she does. You can find her at the stphilipinstitute.org. We'll have other links on the show notes so that you can find her, read her work, and enjoy her as much as I do. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Thank and, you, Lee. Yeah, what a blessing you are. And everybody, thanks for joining in this conversation. Stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi, I'm Dave Palmer with Homeschool Connections. I teach a class called An Introduction to the Summa Theologia. I'm also the author of a book called St. Thomas Aquinas for Everyone, 30 fun and quick lessons, activities, and outdoor adventures based on the Summa Theologia. And I'm going to be doing a segment on this podcast once a month on the Summa Theologia. And in this one, I want to explain the five proofs for the existence of God as explained in the Summa Theologia. It's the most famous of all the articles, the parts of the Summa. So I thought this would be a good way to start off these segments, okay? And Thomas borrowed a lot of this from Aristotle, but they go like this. There's the proof from motion, efficient cause, possibility and necessity, perfection, and also governance of the world. So I'll take about a minute on each one of these. The first one is the proof from motion. I mean, every day, all day, we see things that are in motion, okay? That's part of our observation. I'm in motion right now. You probably are as well. And so Thomas says that we do observe that things are in motion. And we also notice that they were put into motion by something else. Something can't be both moved 
and mover in regard to the same motion. So something put it into motion, and that something was put into motion, which was put into motion also. But he says, well, we can't just go back to infinity. At some point, you have to have something that put something in motion but wasn't moved itself. And he says, this is the great unmoved mover, which is God. The second proof is based on cause and effect, and it's very similar to the the proof based on motion, but instead it's causes. Like you look at this picture and you see the piglets, they have a cause, which is their mom and dad, but they have a cause, they have a cause, and it goes back and back and back. And once again, Thomas says, okay, if everything has a cause, we can't just go back to infinity. At some point, there had to be some cause that wasn't caused itself. This is the great uncaused cause. And this is God, according to St. Thomas Aquinas. Possibility and necessity says that uh, all these things that we observe in the world, like the sun and the birds and the trees and the grass, are only possible to exist, which means that at some point they didn't exist, and at some point they're going to corrupt and, and not exist in our world. And we notice that pretty much everything is that way. And he says, well, if all things could possibly not exist, then at some point nothing would have existed and nothing would have begun to exist. And then he says, but they do exist. And so something necessary had to have uh, begun the whole process. Okay, so the first three are, are similar. Okay, and he says, of course, that necessary being is God. The fourth one is the argument from perfection. And this just goes that in our daily lives, we notice things that have degrees of perfection. Some people like Mother Teresa are holier than others. Einstein is really smart. Our athletes are really athletic. They're, they're extremely good at what they do. So we see gradations of perfection. And Thomas basically in this one says, we see more or less in things um, and they're related to a maximum but there must be some utmost maximum that is the highest, not only of one perfection, but of all perfections. And he said that perfectly perfect being is God himself. Okay, so that's number four. And then finally, governance of the world. We see that things in the world operate really well. Like ducks know when to fly south for the winter, the photosynthesis process, the compost process, the water cycle, uh, spiders building these beautiful webs. Things just kind of work out. And Thomas says it's interesting that some things lack intelligence, but they act for an end, like the spider or the water, okay? And this it would indicate some kind of designer that put it all into motion as an arrow is directed to a target. And he says, so clearly there's some intelligent designer, some intelligent governor of all these beautiful things that we witness in the world. And he says, that is God. So those are the five proofs for the existence of God, according to St. Thomas Aquinas. I'm Dave Palmer. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. <laughs>